Well, it's good to see everybody today and so glad that you're here. My name's Nate, if I hadn't had a chance to meet you. And would you welcome everybody in our video venue and watching on our live stream right now? I want to let them know that we are so glad that they are in here and with us. And today we begin a new series called Multiplication Table. And it actually is going to continue where we left off in our Tough Love series as we've been walking through the book of John. And it's so incredible that, uh, you know, we get to read letters from some of Jesus' best friends. People that walked the face of the earth, that saw him, that, you know, lived life with him, and then they write about it. And this is what forms our faith. This is what shapes our faith. And we've been walking through for the past seven weeks uh, through the, you know, chapters 1 through 13 of the book of John. And we've been seeing how Jesus loved when it was tough. And then he's going to do something today that he changes the game. He begins to do something totally different with his disciples. It's his last night. And he does something different, and he points them in a new direction. That's why we're calling this series Multiplication Table, because Jesus begins to point them to a new way. And uh, does anybody feel like the world is moving so fast? They've like just lost track all around them. You know, you just look around, like if you bought an iPhone X last year, guess what? You're already obsolete, right? You know, Apple's like, good news. We have the iPhone XS which they are just put a little, another line through it to go, no, it's the iPhone X money, right? You know, we just need more money. And already you brought a brand new phone. It's already old. And yesterday I came in for service and I go, oh, yeah, I have this picture I want to use in my sermon. And I talked to one of our tech directors and she said this, she goes, airdrop it. <laughs> yeah, what, uh, I mean, I know what it is, but just walk it, like walk me through that again. You know, I'm already 36 and just gone, man. Like, I don't know what's going on. I'm like taking my phone. I'm like, is that it? Did it go? Did it, did it go? You know, and uh, she's like, give me your phone. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. But already the world is changing. I remember I had a conversation a couple months ago with a pastor. He's real entrepreneurial. And not only does he pastor a congregation, he has a business degree. And so before he became a pastor, he was always in the business world doing this stuff. And God's just really blessed him with this insight, this ability to create businesses and invest well. And so the church has always kind of allowed him to do that. And I said, Rick, I said, help me understand how the world is changing so fast and what I can do. Because as a pastor, sometimes I feel like it's moving so quick. I don't even know what to say. I come here together and we're all in different places and you guys have all these different abilities. And I go, man, sometimes it's, it's kind of helpless. And he said, let me tell you what's happened in the world of business. Three things that have just changed the game. It's changed the way everything happens in business. He said, first, he goes over a hundred years ago. He said, if you wanted bread, he said, where would you go? Where would you go over a hundred years ago? To the bakery. You go, I want some bread. Go to the bakery. He said there was this pipeline idea that if somebody needed something, you had to go to them to get it. He said, and then what began to change the game, he said, is there this became this portfolio way of business where these general stores would come up and not only would they have bread, they would have other stuff and it began to compete with the bakers. He said, even in our day, he said, things like Walmart and Costco began to come up where he goes, you could not only buy bread and beef jerky, you could also get a new set of brakes, right, at the same place. Let's save yourself some time. In an hour, you can get everything you need in one spot. He said, but in the past couple of years, he goes, the game has changed again. And he said, and it's gone from pipeline to portfolio, he said, to a new thing called the platform. I said, what, what's the platform? He said, let me tell you this. He said, the largest hotel company in the world owns no hotels. 
He said the largest taxi company now in the world owns no cars. And he said, and the largest content developer in the world writes no content. I said, Rick, explain that to me. He said, can you guess, and I'll let you guess, who's the largest hotel company in the world now who owns no hotels? Airbnb. Airbnb. Who's the largest taxi company now that owns no cars? Uber. And can you guess who is the largest content writer in the world now that writes no content? Can you guess who that is? Some of you are like, I'm not going to be wrong, so I'm not going to say an answer out loud. (laughs) It's Facebook. The game has changed. What people are figuring out is this. Instead of us building buildings, why don't you be the building? Instead of us buying cars and repairing them all the time, what if you pay for your own car and we make money? And you'll make money too. What if instead of us coming up with content that people want to read and we have to develop all these writers, what if you are the content writer and we'll sell ads and we'll make money off of you, for you, and, uh... (laughs) but the game has changed. If you look at Walmart and Target now, you don't just go there to get goods. What do you do? I don't know about you, but my family has gotten really good at this thing called the click list, right? To the glory of God, you know, this whole thing. Like last week during monsoon season here in southern Indiana, you know, I don't know if you knew we had one of those, but we found out we did. My wife texted me. She said, I need you to go to Kroger because I've done a click list and you need to pick it up. And I had the kids with me. And I called them. I said, hey, it's raining hard. Are you still going to bring the the food out? And they go, just back your car up to the door. So I pulled up, man. I whipped that minivan in there, dude, you know. Tires are screeching. I pull in. I back up to the door. Door opens. They throw all the goods off. I drove it like I stole it, man. It just like came flying out of there. No kids had to get out of the car. I didn't have to get out of the car. I'm just throwing it in there. And we are gone because the game is changing. What we're going to find today is this. Jesus changed the game. And the question for you and I is this. What game are you playing? See, oftentimes that's the problem with the church. We want to point at the world that the world is wrong. And Jesus said, no, I changed the game. And the problem is the church didn't change with me. One passage that we're going to look at today is going to really just kind of take the top off for us in this series, and it's going to last the next couple weeks here that we're going to look at this because Jesus changes the game. Matter of fact, I love being on this creative staff that we have because as we were looking at the passages and we were looking at what Jesus wanted to do, we found out, uh, as Jason Petty, our next-gen pastor, he's like, man, as I'm thinking about this, he goes, we ought to call this thing multiplication table. Because this is what Jesus wanted to do. He wanted to begin to multiply his disciples. He's saying, I've journeyed with you. I love you. And then listen what he says in John chapter 14, verse 12. Listen what Jesus said. He changes the game for his disciples. He says, I tell you the truth. Jesus going, I want this to be so clear for you. I want you to know what I'm calling you to. I'm not trying to confuse you. I don't want this to be uncertain or unclear. He says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Now today in our world, we might go, neat. But for a moment, can we just put ourselves in the disciples' shoes? 
Think about it. For three and a half years, Jesus has walked with you. Every day you've been with him. You've seen him heal people. You've seen him pray. And God miraculously provided enough food and fish to feed 5,000 people. Every single thing that has been extraordinary, you've seen with Jesus. And then he tells you in his last night, not only am I leaving you, he says stuff like this. If you have faith in me, if you believe in me, then you'll do what I've been doing. He redefines faith for us. He redefines what he says in this way of going, if you have faith in me, because sometimes this is what we do. We go, if someone asks you, you go, well, what do you believe in? Well, I believe in Jesus. Okay. Well, do you do what he does? I believe in Jesus. And I go to church. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. See, Jesus changed the game of what faith is. He goes, faith isn't just going, yes, I agree, Jesus is the Son of God. Faith is saying, I am doing what Jesus did. And then he says this, just let us sink this in. I know you're not going to believe it. I couldn't comprehend it. I still go, oh, God, I have my doubts. And you will do greater things than these. You believe you're going to do something greater than Jesus? We go, no, that's Jesus. Open his robe. There's a big J right here, you know. It's like, ah, I'm not Jesus. That's Jesus. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing, and they will do greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. I'm going to the Father. And now it's going to be through you. And some of us go, that sounds great, but that probably didn't happen. Jesus keeps saying it over and over again. John chapter 20 says, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And Matthew 28, he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. What I found fascinating in the book of Acts, I read this stat, that 39 out of 40 miracles that happened in the book of Acts all happened outside of the church gathering. In our everyday lives, in our everyday ways, God was doing these amazing things. All of this stuff started happening. And here's what happened. Somebody goes, Nate, I still, I don't know about it. God would do greater things than in this life of Jesus. How many people do you think got to hear and follow Jesus when he was here on his earth in that three and a half years? Just a guess. A couple thousand, right? Went around to some cities. Let's round up. Let's give them, let's, let's call it 100,000 people. Let's say 100,000 people began to hear and follow Jesus while he was here on earth. How many people have become Christians since he's gone to heaven? Billions? See, we don't think that way, do we? Jesus is changing the game for you today. The question is, do you understand what he's doing? See, Jesus changed everything here you saw this baptism of Dick and Lynette today. Man, incredible story. Dick comes around here. Man, he serves the church. That's awesome. Last weekend, I got to see this phenomenal baptism. One of my friends got baptized after service, got a baptizer. I have baptized her kids about five years ago, so I've known her for a while. And I asked her, I said, what led to this moment? She said, I've been going through some really hard times in my life. And she said, literally, there I was at the ballpark. She said, I had a friend come up to me. And she said, how are you doing? She said, I'm not doing very good. She began to sit there and talk with her. 
find out her story, find out what's going on in her life. She said, she got me in a group here at Northside. Matter of fact, she goes, I joined two groups at Northside. And when we walked into that baptistry, I looked up after service, and there were over 30 people there going, here I am to celebrate you. Back in January, if you guys remember this, we talked about what if, what if as a church we prayed and asked God, would you allow me and lead me to baptize someone else? God, what if you began to use my life to lead others to you? I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing and he will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father and the church is now going to live out the ways of Jesus. The game has changed. Have we changed with the game? Now some of you are going, Nate, this sounds great, but I don't even know where to start, man. I've got so much going on in my life. How do I even begin? This is where we want to start this weekend. As we begin this new series, what we miss oftentimes is this. And what I have missed over and over again as I've read this passage over and over again, I miss this simple thing. I go, okay, I need to go do what Jesus is doing. I need to do greater things. He's going to the Father. I hope I don't mess this up. Ah, you know, we kind of, you know, build ourselves up and get all anxious. And you know where Jesus started with this? started at a table. See, we don't start here most of the time, do we? When we hear those words, we got to go do greater things and we got to do what Jesus is doing. We feel like, boy, I got to go get my act together and I got to go do this and I got to make all these things happen. I got to start a 501c3. I got to do all these other stuff. Jesus goes, ooh, hang on. In his last night, Jesus gets his disciples together and he gathers them around a table and he sits down and he has a meal with them. And he begins to share with them the ways and the calling of God on their life. There's something about the table, isn't it? I mean, there's something powerful when we begin to sit down at the table. Last night while I was preaching, I was excited to preach, but I won't lie. I wanted to be up at Men's Challenge, and here's why. They had 150 pounds of pulled pork for their meal last night. <laughs> Taste and see that the Lord is good, right? He loves you. And I went, the whole time I'm preaching, I'm like, boy, I wish I was up there at the table, because there's something when we come together and we sit down at the table. Matter of fact, I read the stats about families. It says this, that 40% of families spend three times or less a week having dinner around the table. It even said that 10% of families never share a meal around a table during the week. And then it said this, I thought this was interesting in the study I was reading. No matter who they talk to, every single family, 88% of every family said they wished they had more meals around the table. Kind of a hard moment for us as a family this week, but my mom's dad, my grandpa, he's battled some health issues, uh, but last weekend he, he fell, hit his head, thought he was okay, but he developed a brain bleed. Ended up having a stroke, went to the hospital, they tried to help him, and he passed on Thursday morning. Hard part was my mom and my dad were in Romania. They're trying to get back, trying to get back. 
and didn't make it. And this afternoon, we'll have a memorial service for him. And we'll remember the good of Grandpa Rose. But you know what we'll do after the funeral? We'll sit around a table. We'll eat together. We'll talk. We'll cry. But we come around this table. There's something powerful about the table. Matter of fact, it's not just in that last moment that Jesus did this with his disciples that set a new tone and really changed the game because the last thing he did, he didn't send them on one more mission. He said, no, come around the table with me. Have one last meal with me. Because if you begin to study the life of Jesus, most of his ministry happened around food. Praise God, man, right? You know, he's going, everything he was doing. I love the story in Luke chapter 14, when the Pharisees invite him over for dinner, for dinner, they're not there just to share a meal. They want to, you know, find out, they want to trip him up. They want to accuse him of something. And what he does is on that night in Luke chapter 14, he heals a man on the Sabbath and he knows that's going to irk them. And then he tells them this parable. He goes, you know who God wants at his table? And he begins to tell this parable. He says, go out and invite the lame and go out and invite the cripple and go out and invite those who don't have a seat at the table because I want those people at my table. If you read a couple chapters later in Luke chapter 19, he walks into this city called Jericho and there's a man named Zacchaeus there who's a Jewish man who's become a tax collector for the Romans, which means he's working for the man not for his country, and he's ripping off his own people. He's getting rich off his own people. He's betrayed his country. He's done everything evil in the ways of God, and yet his heart isn't full, and he has all the money. It says he was rich. He's wealthy, but his life is empty. So he climbs the sycamore tree because Jesus is coming to town, and he's looking for life. And if you read in Luke chapter 19, when Jesus comes in, he looks up, and he sees Zacchaeus in a tree. And he says, Zacchaeus, you come down because I'm going where? I'm going to your house today. You are fixing me some euros. This is going down, man. It's, maybe it's not in there. But, you know, that's what he's saying, right? He's saying, I want to have a meal with you. And it irked everybody that Jesus would want to eat with Zacchaeus. And then he says this line. Jesus says, don't mistake this. I've come to seek and save the what? Anybody remember? The lost. You know how Jesus did ministry? He didn't walk around going, you're a sinner. Come break some bread. You're not sitting with him. You know how he started ministry? Why don't you come sit down on my table? Let's talk. Let's talk some life. Think about it, the most meaningful moments in your life, I'm just guessing here, came around a table. Holidays, family moments, date nights, coffee dates. You know why we don't have people at our home around our table? I'll give you one guess. You all already know the answer, you just don't want to admit it. Why is it that we don't want people to come over to our house? Because our house is a mess, isn't it? <laughs> Can I just pray a prayer of blessing over you? Your house will never be clean enough, all right? 
It'll never be clean enough. Here's the problem. We always go, man, my house is a mess. I can't have anybody over. I can't, I can't ever have anybody over. Oh, oh, the laundry's out on the floor. Can't have anybody over. And we miss out on these moments of the table with people. This is why my life group, I love it. Every week we have a meal together before we start. And I'll be honest, the study time is good. On the back of your bulletin, you have sermon questions you can go through, challenge. You know what my favorite part of life group is? And I'm the pastor here, man. My favorite part isn't the study. My favorite part is sitting down at the table. What's going on in your world? How are you doing? What's going on in your life? Sometimes we just go, We'll do the study next week. Why don't we just keep eating and just hang out, man, a little bit more? Because there is something about the table. And it's not just new to us, and it's not just new to Jesus. Matter of fact, the more you begin to read in the Old Testament, God had a very specific reason why he had the table. If you look all the way back in Exodus 25, God created this thing for his people, the Israelites, called the tabernacle, which represented and it housed the presence of God, that God would always go with them. He didn't just lead them out of Egypt and lead them out of slavery, which for us is a foreshadowing of him leading us out of our sin. It's not just that he led them out of Egypt. He said, my presence is going to be with you. And he created this thing called the tabernacle. It housed the presence of God. And it said, hey, I want you to put some furniture in there. And one thing he wanted the Israelites to do is to put a table in the tabernacle. And listen why it says this in Exodus chapter 25, verse 30. He said, because the bread of the presence is to be on the table to be before me at all times. What he wanted Israel to remember is when I led you out of Egypt, I provided for you bread every day. This manna would come down and you need to remember I am your provider. It's not just that my presence is with you, it's that my presence is your provision. Don't forget it. It says this in Leviticus chapter 24, verse 5. It talked about what he wanted, to, wanted them to continue to do. He said, take fine flour, take the best flour you have, and bake 12 loaves of bread. Now, the reason why 12, you go, man, 12, what's that? You know, that's not low carb. What's going on here, you know? Here's why. There was 12 tribes of Israel. And what God wanted everybody to remember is this. I have enough at my table for everybody. The question for you and I today is this. Are we sitting at his table? See, God was always trying to remind people, hey, my table is open to you. My table is what I have for you. Have you sat down at his table? Have you sat down at his table? You can even think all the way back to junior high. Tables represented something, didn't they? You walk into the lunchroom, you know where the cool kids are, right? Never got to sit at that table, right, you know? Those people sat over there, and if you tried to sit down with them, seats taken, right? Okay, all right, we'll find over here. Sad thing is it continues on in our work life now, doesn't it? You can walk into a room, break room. There's the executives, there's these people, here's these people. It's amazing what the table represents. 
And Jesus' last night, what he's trying to get into the lives and the minds of his disciples are this. I am inviting you to my table. You know who else was at, at Jesus' table that night? Judas. People who really don't believe or want to follow or put their faith in him, he's going, I know, but I'm letting you know you're still invited to the table. You still have a seat at the table. And don't we want to be invited to the table? For Jesus to look at you and not say, seats taken, but for Jesus to look at you and say, pull up a chair. You have a seat at the table. The thing is, when you come to a table, you don't just sit around the table. What do you do at a table? Guys, it's not that hard. You eat, right? right? Like that's what some of you are like, can you hurry up? Because I want to go to another table, right? You know, like, let's go. That's what you do. When you come to the table, you come and you eat at the table. See, what Jesus was doing is not only did he have a last meal, he had new things that he wanted his disciples to feast on. The first is this. He goes, I have a new command. He begins to share with them at the table a brand new thing. Never preached this before, but listen what he says in John chapter 13. He says, a new command I give you. I want you to eat on this. I want you to feast on this. A new command, love one another. It's like, it's like Jesus knew what we needed. Love one another, but here's how he says, as I've loved you, not how you want to love the world, but as I have loved you. You, so you must love one another. And by this, all men and women will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Simple, simple way. Hard to live, isn't it? Here's what we need to understand if we're going to live this out. One, we have got to be people who go to the world, and this is our message to the world, that you have a seat at the table. But I don't like them. You know, Jesus can say that about you. I don't like your sin, so guess what? You don't have a seat at my table. And Jesus goes, I know your sin, I know you, I know your doubt. Why don't you pull up a chair? Our message to the world is you have a seat at the table. Got a text message from one of my buddies in my life group. He said, Nate, he goes, I got a friend who wants to meet you. He has some questions about Northside. He said, are you free from lunch? I said, I think lunch is my spiritual gift. Yes, I am. <laughs> yes, I am available. We went, we met for lunch. We sat down. His name's Brian. He's become a good friend now. He said, Nate, me and my family, we've been coming to Northside for years. He goes, we love it. But he said, Nate, you know what I'm noticing in the world is he said, there's a lot of racial tension right now in the world. And he said, I, I, I just wanted to know, do you have plans on how we can continue to be a church that lets every person of color know that they are welcome here? I know we're in a predominantly white area, but that doesn't mean we just need to act that way. That, that can, are there things that we can do to help people of color flourish here, know that they're welcomed here, that they can be a part here? And he's asking me that. And you know what I found a little bit just strange? Brian's white. And I went, Brian, why are you so passionate about this? 
Let me show you a picture of Brian's family. Several years ago, about 17 years ago, God placed it on Brian's heart and Jennifer's wife to adopt. He didn't know who the Lord was going to bring to him. But the Lord brought him two beautiful African-American children. And what Brian was asking me that day was this, Nate, is Northside going to be a place where my family can continue to flourish as they follow God. I told Brian that day, I said, Brian, would you help me continue to make Northside a place where every single person of every single race would feel welcomed and flourish here? When you begin to read the book of Revelation, it says that every tongue, tribe, and nation will rejoice and shout the name of Jesus when he comes back. This is what the church is to be, where every single person is invited to the table. Amen. Isn't that the church that God is saying this is what we are to be? that every single person has a seat at the table. I don't care our percentages of white people in our area. Every single person matters. I said, Brian, I feel like I need to get my friends here at Northside, some folks I know, different people of color, and we need to get around the table and talk. And so last Sunday night, I invited some of my friends, I invited Brian, and we sat around my dinner table, and it was one of the greatest meals of my life. And it's not just because the food was good. We didn't cook it, by the way, so, you know, but it was one of those things of we just had dinner together, and we sat at the table, and I asked them three questions. I said, why did you come to Northside? What do I need to know about the racial tension going on today? Not what do I think. What do you know and need to tell me? And then how can we make Northside a place where every person can flourish in their calling of Jesus? And can I just tell you that night, I didn't pastor them, they pastored me. It was my table that we met at, but they invited me to their table. And when we closed in prayer that night, there was just a sense of awe. And we went, Northside doesn't belong to some race or to some person. Northside is Jesus' church, and it belongs to everybody and invites everybody to the table. Matter of fact, what we find is this in Acts chapter 2. The early Christians did exactly what Jesus did. If you begin to read Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came, people began to speak in tongues, which means different languages, and they began to hear languages and different nationalities went, wait, they're sharing and talking, and I can understand this Jesus. And all these nations began to follow Jesus. And then in Acts 2, 42 through 47, they began to meet and they would break bread. And listen to what it says in Acts chapter 2, 46 through 47. It said they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glory glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. All people were coming together. And then it said, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It's amazing what happens when we begin to sit down around the table. We begin to share meals with people. We begin to open our lives to one another. We begin to let other people teach us and give us insights that we don't have. 
And we begin to follow Jesus together. That's what the early church did. They were always known for their hospitality. They were always known for these people coming together. And isn't it interesting that we are more socially connected than ever before in the entire history of the planet, and yet we are the most lonely we've ever been as a nation? Could it be that your digital table doesn't feed you what you need? How's the nutrients that you're consuming? How do you feel after spending two hours on Instagram? You didn't break any bread. You want to break people's face. (laughs) Have you sat down at the table? Now, I want to be open and honest. Some are going, man, ooh, this is a game changer. It is a game changer. Matter of fact, Thomas... God begins to give through Jesus a new direction for his disciples. And he, he's going, whoa, his head's spinning. He's going, what do you mean you're, you're leaving? You're supposed to be here forever. You're, you're a superman. You're ordered to follow you. And listen to what he tells him in John chapter 14. Thomas said to Jesus, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? If you're leaving us, what are we supposed to do? I mean, this is, my mind's kind of being blown here. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you really knew me, you would know my father as well. And from now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Jesus is saying, it's me. There's no other way. It is in me. It is through me. And what Jesus was telling Thomas that night at the meal was feast on Jesus at the table. When we come to the table, we are invited. But what we need to feast on in our life is Jesus. This is why he says in John chapter 6, Verse 35, he says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. I know you're hungry in life. I know there's desires. He says, when you come to me, you will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus is saying, you have a seat at the table, but don't just sit down at the table. Feast on me. This is what the world needs. It needs people who have feasted on him. I remember my first ministry, it was about 11, 12 years ago in Illinois, I started out in youth ministry, and my boss came to me in the first month and he said, listen, he said, you've got some big trees in your front yard, the students are going to come and toilet paper your house, just get ready. And I said, all right, all right, you know, I'll get ready. And he said, here's what you need to do, he said, because you have tall trees, he said, light the end of one of the toilet papers and it will burn all the way up and it will burn the toilet paper out of your tree, that hard to reach spot. Sure enough, a month later, you know, we hear some rustling outside, 1 a.m. They're just chucking rolls of toilet paper all over the tree. You know, it's just kind of initiation for the new guy. And I'm like, that's fine, man. That's cool. And so then they leave, and it's like 1.30 in the morning, and Ruthie and I are like, you know, we had to leave super early the next day. It was going to be blowing everywhere. We were like, well, we got to get rid of this. So I began to light pieces of the toilet paper on fire. And it just begins to burn up, and I had a spiritual moment. I went, Lord, I know what it was like when Moses faced you with the burning bush. (laughs) Because what began to happen was that pieces of this toilet paper that were on fire came down and caught the rest of the toilet paper on the ground on fire. Soon, the tree was on fire. (laughs) And the hose was around back, and I couldn't get it unhooked to spray anything out. Thankfully, it goes out. I mean, we were ready to call the fire fire department at 2 in the morning, 
Next morning, that was Saturday night. I got to preach Sunday morning. I see my boss, Drew, Sunday morning. I said, dude, I did what you said. I almost burned down our house. He goes, well, I've never done it. I just thought that would work. As I have loved you, love one another. I'm like, Lord, help me right now. You know what the world doesn't need? The world doesn't need Christians walking around telling them what they should do that they've never done themselves. Before we start telling the world what to do, We need to come sit at the table and feast on Jesus. And out of that feast, we'll feed the world. The world doesn't need to know what I think. The world needs the way and the truth and the life. That's what the world needs. Jesus at the table gives them a new command. He gives them a new direction. Then he gives them a new peace. He doesn't just say, I'm going away. Good luck. Hopefully I'll see you in heaven. He says, I have a new peace for you. Listen to what he says. He says, all this I have spoken while still with you. All of these things I've spoken while I'm with you. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything. That's the beauty. This week, some of go, how'd the weekend go, Nate? Oh, it was great. What'd you preach on? Help me, Holy Spirit. What'd I preach on, you know? <laughs> See, this is what Jesus knows. You'll forget. Yeah, that was a great church service. It was about something. I don't know. The Holy Spirit will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. And he says this, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. I'm changing the game. What I give you, the world isn't giving you. It's why you need to sit at the table with me. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Oftentimes we go, Nate, that was so cool that Jesus got to sit down and have dinner with his disciples around the table. I would change. I would be a better follower of him. If I could sit at his table, here's what you need to understand. You need to write this in, that the Holy Spirit is our table. The Holy Spirit is the presence of God in our life. You don't need to wait till supper time to sit down with Jesus. This is the beauty of Jesus. Because of his presence, when he went to the Father, he sent his presence to continually meet with us so that we could have his peace, his presence, that he is our provision. He is enough. He is the one who is meeting with us. He's the one who's always inviting us back. Matter of fact, it says this in Psalm chapter 23, verse 5. I love how the writer of this psalm says this. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my what? Enemies. When life gets difficult, somebody says, hey, let's go eat something. What do you say? I can't eat right now. I can't eat right now. 
I'm nervous. I'm waiting for some test results from the doctor. I can't eat right now. Life is destroying me. I I can't eat right now. You, God, prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. See, this is why Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, because he knew this. I couldn't physically, while I'm here, get everybody around a table with me. But what Jesus said is this, I'm going to die for the sins of humanity, go back to heaven, send the Holy Spirit, who will be my table and presence for you. Have you sat down at the table of the Lord? And not just have you sat down, Have you feasted on the grace and the provision and the mercy and the love of Jesus? Have you tasted the one who said, I am giving you a new life. I am giving you a new direction. That I am the way, the truth, and the life I give to you as the world doesn't give. I am changing the game. Have you sat down with me? Because the world is begging for people to say to them, come sit at my table. Come sit at my table. Pull up a chair. Come be with your creator. Come see the one who's inviting you when you don't feel invited. On the bread of life, when you come to me, you won't go hungry. And in this final act, Jesus, after this meal at the table, went and was nailed on a table. To say all of humanity at the cross can come to me. One of my favorite quotes of this, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. There is no hierarchy. There's no room at the cross just for executives or CEOs. There's room for them. And there's room for the low man on the totem pole. And Jesus says at the cross, it's all level. Have you sat down at the table? Here in a moment, our leaders are gonna serve us communion, this bread and this juice, and we take this not just to remember that he's forgiven our sins, but to go, no, Jesus, you are with us. You are our peace. You are our Savior. And this also reminds us of Jesus' calling to his disciples that this isn't just for us. This is for the world. This is why it's the multiplication table, that when we come to the table, we feast, and then we go out to the world to bring them to the table to say, God is here to meet you right where you are. Have you sat down at the table? Because Jesus wants you to pull up a chair. Father, thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace. 
Thank you that, God, you are inviting us into a story and in a place that's bigger than us, that's greater than us. And Jesus, even in that night, the disciples, they didn't understand everything. And even in this moment, God, we won't understand everything that you're doing. And that's okay because you're here. Father, I pray for those who are here, Lord, that maybe have never sat down with you, that today would be the day they would say, I'm sitting down with you, Jesus. Or maybe, God, we sat down with you a long time ago and we need to return to the table. Jesus, thank you for being our provision. Thank you for being the bread of life. Thank you for being the love that we don't have. Thank you for being our direction. Thank you for being our peace. Thank you for preparing a table for us. When nothing else in this world satisfies our heart. May we remember you right now and your provision in all things. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.